0: Joy seekers, joy givers, anyone looking for an infusion of joy, you've come to the right place. My name is Deb McGregor. I'm the host for today's program. As we go into a conversation about the prodigal son, I want to ask you, are you a prodigal, a Pharisee, or a servant? Maybe a combination of everything. We have an incredible conversation for you today around this, around our real-life testimonies and how it relates to the prodigal son, It is my pleasure to welcome as our special guest, Mike Burkhart. Mike, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Deb. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, we just have to say that even just getting you here was totally of the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) This is your show topic, for sure.
1: Getting me out of the house is of the Lord. (laughs) It takes a miracle to move me from my front door.
0: No, oh, didn't you just tell me you did like over 500 burpees or something in a challenge?
1: <laughs> 430 in 58 minutes.
0: Oh my gosh, it's just amazing. I mean, congratulations <laughs> in and of itself. Mike, I feel like we have a lot to talk about. Where I feel like we need to start, though, is a little bit in your origins and how you even got to Minnesota and how the Lord has just worked in your life. So let's let's go back to your younger years.
1: Okay, to... Um to bring the prodigal aspect into it, I'll start. I was raised in a little town in Tennessee, Big Rock, Tennessee. It was about the size of the parking lot of the radio station. I was the oldest of six. My dad was an abusive alcoholic. Um, we lived in a house that I wouldn't raise dogs in right now. I'm not, not sad for it. It, it. it gave me a lot of insight into the harder side of life. My mother was very devout. Dad would come in occasionally. He would play football with my mother, beat her, get her pregnant, take off for a while again, and uh, I was raised like this. And, but I watched my mother. I have two or three heroes, my wife being one, my mother's another, because Hollywood has distorted the idea of a hero, made it look like some action figure. A hero was someone that sticks with the Lord no matter what. And I watched my mother, after Dad had beaten her eyes closed, and then pass out on the floor, crawl across the floor, and pray over that man for deliverance. And then she would come over and pray over we children. And I'm living proof that train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they shall not depart from it. And, you know, without getting too deep into that part of it, we had some pretty tough times coming up. But um, as time went by, Mom and Dad separated, and the Lord kept us. There's a, a story in uh, Genesis 12 where Abraham was first coming into the land that God sent him to. And if you read, it said, and Abraham built an altar unto the Lord. And then he it says somewhere else, that he built an altar unto the Lord. And the Lord reminded me that if we'll stop in our life, I believe Abraham, as he was traveling to a place he didn't know, would look back, and he could go, I remember what you did there. I remember what you did there. And he would look back where he'd built these altars. And in my life and in all lives of believers, if we stop, even when things aren't going well, we can look back and go, yeah, but I remember when you did this. I remember when Daddy passed out just before he probably would have killed my mother. I remember when you moved us from that shack that we lived into what we thought was a nice house at the time. It was in a housing project, but for us, it was the best place we'd ever have. And if we remember those altars, where he did something so, and it doesn't have to be a a Jordan splitting miracle. It can be just a great day, and just look back and go, "Wow, thank you, Lord." And my, I, I feel like my life is like a picket fence. I can just look back and go, "Yeah, yeah, 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 I, I remember that." Yeah. Well, to give you more of my origin, after uh, we moved, I joined the Marine Corps, when right, straight out of high school, and one of the best things I ever did. The United States Marines became the dad I didn't have. I learned disciplines that I wasn't able to get at home. But I also learned some other things. I was kind of a nerd in high school. I was real quiet and I read a lot, uh, which you wouldn't know now. But, uh, <laughs> but I started drinking, just occasional partying, uh, hanging out with my friends and, uh, you know, just partying and falling out. Didn't think anything about it because I had resolved at an early age, no matter what, I won't become like dad. I will not be a drunk. But this is a supernatural problem. It's not something that we can control by willing it. It would be nice. And as time went on, I got out of the Marine Corps, and uh, jobs were somewhat sparse. I am by, by trade. I'm a riverboat captain. I drive heavy tows on the lower Mississippi. Uh, the boat that I'm on is a 9,300 horsepower. Uh, we push 40 to 42 barges at a time. That's the equivalent of seven, seven or so acres of barges in front of us. And uh, I was fortunate to, to get on the river when I first got out of the Marine Corps as a deckhand. And uh, it was both a great opportunity, but it was the worst job on the planet for an addict because I worked for a month and I was home for a month, so I never realized that I had a problem. Well, at first, I was just a partier. You know, when I get off the boat, yeehaw, I'm single, I've got a pocket full of cash, and the world is my, is my oyster, and I'm fixing to dine. And that was okay for a couple of years, I thought. The Lord kept nudging me even through these times. I would see people going to church or I would see something scriptural and it would nudge me, but I wasn't ready. Well, as time went on, my company started getting rougher and my drug use started increasing. Uh, An example I'm a jail minister as well. I'll throw that in and we'll get more into it later. But one of the examples the Lord gave me to share with the individual at the jail is that sin. It's like one of those merry-go-rounds at the park that small children get on. You know, they get on it, and as long as someone their size is pushing it around, it's fun, and it's slow, and it's, it's, you know, you're enjoying yourself. And that's how we all start out when we fall into an addiction or, or, or a habit of sin. And it's just going along easy with we it. Well, this is not bad. But our enemy is like that big kid that walks along and goes, I'm going to have some fun. And he starts spinning this thing with his strength. And all of a sudden, this fun little ride that you're on starts speeding up and speeding up until one one minute you realize that if I let go, I'm going to die because it's going so fast that how am I going to stop this? And our Lord is like that good-looking guy that walks up and says, you're going to stop this and you're going to stop this now. And then he gently slows down that merry-go-round and gets us off and helps us stand until the dizziness is gone and we can walk on. And that's, that's how my life was. It just kept going around and around. And I won't go into great detail because I'm not going to glorify individual deeds that I did. But all the things that go along with drug addiction, alcohol abuse, and I was a biker and I rode with a pretty rowdy group of guys and got into all the trouble that they did. My alcohol abuse kept getting worse and the drugs were getting stronger and I started going to jail. Well, at first it was just a big joke. No. Go to jail, slap on the wrist, get out, go back to partying. And I didn't take it that seriously. But as the years went by, my friends, the ones that had some decency about them, went on to their lives and carried on from that lifestyle. My friends started getting rougher and rougher. Other than one or two special exclusions, and one of them is my precious bride, Laura. I was her hoodlum friend. Okay, uh, we got to be friends through some mutual friends, and we would go out, and I wouldn't drink excessively around her and because she was the most beautiful thing in my life. I was in love with her from day one. It took me seven years to capture her, but I wouldn't have married me when I met me either. So. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, as time went on, no one saw that other side of me except my rougher friends, and the jail stays got longer, and more serious, until in about 1987 or so, I started hating my life. I hated waking up and starting to drink out of the same beer that I'd fell asleep beside. I hated that all my money was going to drugs. I hated feeling bad. I hated letting everyone down, because the thing of it is we don't realize that a life with any sin, there's collateral damage. I let down those that I loved. I let down myself. I would hide my mother didn't know how bad it was because I didn't want her to see that her son had turned into the same pretty much the same type of drunken bum that she had had to escape from all those years earlier. And I started thinking, <clears throat> I've got to quit, and so I'd get in jail, and I would do what so many of us do when sin, our sin catches up with us. I would swear, Lord, you get me out of this one, I swear as I ain't going to do it no more. And I would do pretty good for a few days. But then I'd be right back. I'd be drunk again, or I'd be off on some big adventure. And I would try to quit, and I would try to quit. And I would go to, to meetings, and I have nothing against the, the 12-step programs. They do the best they can. But I'm going to be real blunt, because I, I know out there somewhere you've got a listener that, that's fighting something. You cannot defeat a supernatural problem by natural means. These folks in these 12-step pro- they they mean so well, and they do well, and they help a lot. But Jesus Christ, hallelujah, is the yoke breaker. He is the only way to be set free. I am not a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. I'm a born-again child of the living God, and I am chained to nothing. But back to my story, I, uh, I kept trying to quit, and I kept trying to quit. and I'd go to jail. I'd get out. And I finally thought, you know, the only way this is going to end is if I die. So I started thinking about suicide quite a bit. And uh, in September of 1989, I woke up one morning, <clears throat> and there's an institutional paint that's used in all jails. And as soon as I opened my eyes, I knew I was in jail. And I was sick. I was so sick. I'd been on a tear for a while, and I don't know what all I had taken or ingested the night before, but I couldn't control my. My hands were shaking so bad I couldn't put them in my pocket, and I was bloody from top to bottom. I mean, I was beat to pieces. And people have been telling me for a while, if like, you keep drinking and driving, you're going to end up killing someone and going to prison. So I thought, well, I don't know. I have to see. Well, I was in Gallatin, Tennessee, in this cell, and I sat there. And I'd been in jail so many times, Deb, that uh, I knew the routine. If the jailers came by and got you before 9, it was a misdemeanor, which was mostly what I had, but if, after 9, it was a felony. And every time the jailers would walk by my cell, they would curse me and say something you know, really rude. And I thought, man, what's wrong with those dudes? And uh, the longer I sat there, our enemy, Hollywood's done a, a great job of making our, our enemy, the devil, look like this Freddy Krueger thing that jumps out of the walls. And rips your lungs out and does all these things. But that's not how he works. He sits on your shoulder and he works on your mind.
0: We are going to be coming back to this conversation. And I know this is the cliffhanger part, like what happens when that is sitting on your shoulder? Friends, we are talking with Mike Burkhart. We are tying in this testimony to the accounting of the <clears throat> prodigal son. We have so much more to talk about. We're going to take a brief pause and then we'll be back. This is Deb McGregor, Live Joy, Share Joy.
1: When it comes to planning for your future, you want an advisor who understands your Christian values. Ameriprise Financial Advisors, Gina Ripkema, Shelley Loff, and Donna Gunderson offer financial planning based on biblical principles. They can help you plan for your goals in a way that is consistent with your faith. Call Gina Ripkema, Shelley Loff, and Donna Gunderson today. Office is located downtown Bemidji at 122 3rd Street Northwest, or at 1202 1st Street East in Park Rapids. Ameriprise Financial offers financial services. Without regard to religious affiliation or cultural background, investment advisory products and services are made available through Arise Financial Group, a division of Ameriprise Financial
0: Services, Inc., a registered investment advisor. This is Deb McGregor of Life Full of Joy and Live Joy, Share Joy. I like to be infused with joy all the time. Every Monday through Friday, I do an Infusion of Joy video on Facebook and Instagram. I cover a topic related to joy and provide insights, perspectives, and distinctions, as well as offer an opportunity for you to continue digging even deeper into your own joy. Make sure you're following me on the Life Full of Joy Facebook page and on Instagram at LiveJoyShareJoy. Joy. Share joy. Live joy. Nourishing Ways by Kelly Joe. Personalized nutrition coaching designed to help women ditch dieting for good and cultivate confidence in themselves so they can nourish their bodies with the food they love without the stress and guilt. Hi, I'm Kelly Joe. I have over 20 years working as a registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor. Let me help you live the joy filled life you crave. Contact me today on Facebook at Nourishing Ways, that's W E I G H S, or call me today at 218 368 Realtors Noemi, Harry, and Abby of Team Aylesworth with Real Living First Realty are here for all your real estate needs in Bemidji and the surrounding communities. Whether you are looking to purchase a home or looking to sell, call the award-winning customer service team to help. Please contact Noemi at 218-760-4689 or click the link for Team Ailsworth on the Business Impact Partner page at yourqfm.com. Team Ailsworth with Real Living First Realty, where you are their priority. This is Deb McGregor of Live Joy, Share Joy. We are talking with Mike Burkhart. And uh, if you caught us right before the break, we sort of left you on a little bit of a cliffhanger. We are in the jail cell with Mike. He is trembling. He's shaking. He's got blood all over him. He doesn't really know what's going on. And we were just talking about the enemy and how the enemy comes. So let's pick up there, Mike.
1: Okay. Uh, I was sitting on that cell. And like I said, our enemy, he doesn't jump in and tear you to pieces like a wolf. He tears your mind to pieces, and sitting there on that cell, musing over my life, the enemy was telling me that, "Well, you've done it this time. That's why the jailers are angry. Is because you've had an accident. You've probably killed a family." And that's really where I was. I thought, "Well, okay, I've done it. I've, I've had that wreck, and I'm getting ready to go to the penitentiary for the rest of my days." And uh, the longer I sat there, I was, I was so sick. It, if you've never and i pray no one is but if you've never come off of alcohol and cocaine and god knows what else i did that night there's no way to describe how sick i was and your mind is not clear and i sat there and the longer i sat there the sicker i got and i thought i've done it and i thought and and as cornball as it sounds to some people that aren't from the south i i have to confess that, that to my shame my worst Worry wasn't at that moment that I had killed a family. My worst worry was that my mother was going to find out her son was a drunken murderer. I I couldn't live with that, Deb. So this jail that I was in, in, it was in Sumner County, Tennessee. It was an old Andy Griffith-type jail. It was small and had a lot of features that you won't find in a jail. And right beside the, the door was this great big iron coat hook. And I was second mate on a riverboat at that time. And if, if nothing else, I'm very good at my job. When I tie a knot, it stays. And I sat there and I thought, I thought, you know what? It would be better for Mom to go through the grieving of me just being gone than it would to live every day knowing that I'm in the joint. That's the, the logic of a, of a, of a fouled-up mind. It it, it didn't make sense now, but looking back then, I thought that's what I needed to do, so. I took the sheet off my bed, and I tied three half hitches around that coat hook. And I had on long sleeve coveralls at the time, because for (laughs) Tennessee, it was cool. Uh, In Minnesota, it would be called spring, but anyway. (laughs) I stood up on my bunk, and I I took those coveralls off my upper body and tied the arms together around the waist. That way, when I hanged myself, I would stick my hands through the knot that I had tied, and I wouldn't be able to untie myself before I choked. So I stood on that, that bunk, and I tied the, the, the sheet around the coat hook, and I stood on my tiptoes, and I wrapped it around my neck twice and tied two half inches in that. And I, and I put my hands... <coughs> I put my hands through the... The waist there where I wouldn't choking. And, and I was standing there and I was crying and slobbered and feeling sorry for myself the way drunks do. And I said some kind of prayer. And I'm not going to, I don't know the exact wording, but the essence was I'm done, Lord. If you've got anything for me, you're going to have to do it now because I'm done. And I closed my eyes and I stepped off the end of that bunk. <clears throat> I don't know how your listeners feel about the miraculous, and, and, and I don't mean this rude, but I don't care. I know what happened. When I tied those knots, they would have pulled a car down the road. And, Deb, I, I, I fell and I landed on the floor of the cell, and I was laying there, and, and I thought, well, am I dead? The floor was cold, and I could, I could feel my shoulder a little sore from where I'd landed. And I thought, this doesn't seem right, and, and about that time, The end of the sheet that I had tied around that coat hook floated down, and it looked like it had been ironed. There wasn't a wrinkle in it where I had tied all those knots. And so I lay there for a second, and I thought, that that can't happen. So I set up, and I took the noose off my neck so I wouldn't look so silly, and I put my coveralls back on, and I made my bed, because that's what Marines do. And my mind had cleared a bit, and I thought, Why me? I've had friends killed from here to that door. I've had friends kill themselves. And why'd you let me live? I couldn't figure it out. So I sat back on my bunk. And about that time, the jailers came up. And there was like five of them. And they had some riot gear with them. And they said, okay, Rocky, are you going to fight us or do you want to go to court? And so I asked him what was going on, and evidently something that I had taken the night before had made me wild, and it, they had to beat me nearly to death to get me into the jail. Now, this was in the 80s. They don't do that stuff anymore, I know. But uh, that's why I was so bruised up. Long story short, I went, and I was looking at some serious time in the pen. I had not converted yet. I had been given a reprieve by the Lord, and, and I want to encourage you. Anyone, if you're listening to me, if God has given you a reprieve, don't try to ride it out. Get on your knees right now. I beg you, get on your knees right now. He gave me a little breathing room. He may not give everyone that. If you see a hole, take it. I beg you, if God has given you a reprieve from the situation you're in, from things that are pressing down on you, Get on your knees and watch and see where he can take you. I had to throw that in because he gave me a bit of a reprieve. I went to court. This judge that I went to see had a reputation for really being hard on alcoholics, on drunks, especially those that drove. I went in. I'm standing there. I'm figuring I'm going to get three to five. Because I did a lot of other things besides just drinking. I'm not going to glorify those. I rammed a police barricade and some other things. She said, I want the court cleared. And she called me up. She got all the attorneys and the prosecutors away from me. And I had applied to go to a treatment center. And this lady called me up. And a tear came out of her eyes. She said, let me tell you something, sport. She said, I've got a daughter in the same shape that you are. And I don't know why I'm doing this. But I'm going to give you 45 days. You go to treatment, and you get out. And if you don't do anything untoward for five years, we're going we're gonna to remove this from your record. This lady had never done this. Even my lawyer was like, I don't know. God was at work. So I did my time. I went to treatment. I got out. And I spent two years as an empty shell because when God removes sin, and misery from your life, if you don't allow him to come in and fill that void, you're empty. The greatest thing that happened to me during that two years is that I finally wore Laura down, and she married me.
0: Oh, praise, praise God. Wow.
1: And my sweetie and I have been married for 30-plus years now, and if she don't shoot me next week, it'll be more than that. But <laughs> Congratulations. Yes, That's hallelujah. Oh, and we gosh. had a son. But the first year of our marriage wasn't great. Because I was a jerk. I was empty. I was angry. I didn't know what to do. And, and I would try to be a husband. I'd try to be a dad. And, and I didn't know how. And I didn't know what was missing. And I was always mad because that hole that alcohol and cocaine and marijuana had filled had nothing in it. And uh, Laura and I got to talking about, well, we'd rather have a divorce than to have my son raised up under the type of conditions that were going on. And it wasn't every day, but it was enough that it was concerning. My wife is a perfect example of of, of what the Lord was talking about, about the man building his house upon a rock in the book of Luke, where he said, and he digged deep. He didn't just find a rock. And that's Laura Ann. She likes to dig deep. She lives in her concordance. And she told me all that 29 years ago. She said, if Jesus isn't our answer, then we don't have one. And we started going to church. And when people ask me my denomination, I tell them King James, okay? I don't care what's over the over the, the vestibule of your church. If it's in the Bible, I want it, okay? Um, so we went to probably 25 different churches. <laughs> and we would fight outside in the church parking lot. Until one time she called me while I was on the boat. I had made pilot by then. And she said, I found it. And her voice even sounded different. I thought, wow, I got to check this out. So I get home and we go to, it's a mixed church. I'd never been to a mixed church. I'm a—I'm a cracker from the hills of Tennessee. There were whites, blacks, Puerto Ricans, people from all all walks of life. And they were praising God and worshiping like I'd never seen as a quiet little old Methodist boy from Tennessee. And I mean, they were making some noise. I thought, well, if the Lord ain't, ain't deaf, he might be nervous. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but we went in, and but they were rejoicing in in the goodness of God and in the mercy of God. And I thought this is a nut house. I'm not staying in here. So I went back to the children's area where my son was being watched, and the Lord used a little Sunday school teacher. In the children's, she gave a Bible study to these children that I got to trembling worse than I was when I was in jail. And I, I I ran up front, and he saved me. He reached down, and he pulled, as it says in Psalm, he pulled me out of a miry pit and set me upon a rock and put a new song in my lips. And and. Like I said, you don't have to do it in the Pentecostal tradition. That was what reached me. However the Lord reaches you, he can reach you in your car driving like he did my wife. Or he can can reach you talking to a friend. Or he can reach you wherever. But he reached me in this mixed church. And uh, it's like that Dr. Seuss book, oh, the places you go.
0: Mm -hmm. Mike, it's so true, the places that God will take us. And as I think about that church and the acceptance, isn't that like the prodigal son?
1: It is. It is. I mean, the Father was waiting on the hill for me in that church. He was. He came down and put a robe around me and put his ring on my finger. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> and he's waiting for the people listening right now.
1: He is. He's he's looking down from above and saying, just come. Just come home. Come,
0: come home. And it doesn't matter what we've done.
1: It doesn't matter. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as wool.
0: Amen. Mike, I feel like we have so much more to talk about. Will you promise me you'll come back?
1: If <laughs> you can stand it, I can stand it. Oh, I can.
0: I, we need to hear about what God is doing in your life now because that was just, my gosh, that's like the beginning, right? There's just so much more to oh, come, yes, right?
1: There's, there's quite a bit.
0: Oh, Amen. We want to thank you so much for tuning in today. Mike Burkhart, thank you so much for joining us today to put some great testimony around the prodigal son.
1: It's It's been a privilege. Yeah. Thank Praise you. God.
0: Praise God for Amen. what he's doing Praise in your God. life. Amen. We want to thank all of you for choosing to tune in today. We want to thank Philip Elke for engineering the program today. And we just want to remind you to live joy and share joy. Have a great day, everyone. This is Deb McGregor. Live joy.